Well, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm going to read that text for you in just a moment. Before I do that, I want to remind you of where we've been just in the past few weeks, really with some action points. And I started last week with the same. I just wanted to remind you of a couple of applications we've had recently from the text preceding this. So one is a challenge to visit another uh, church, and I gave you some options on the backside of an insert. I don't think they're in your bulletins today, but they do go out in the weekly updates, and they're available out on the welcome table as well. Uh, and and here, here it is. It looks like this. Uh, just a challenge to go and to see the beauty of <clears throat> the breadth of the church here in the Cincinnati area, uh, but also if you're somebody who uh, today this is kind of normal for you, have an experience that's just a little outside of your normal experience so that you can appreciate what it's like if, you know, if you're from a, a different place or a different cultural back, backdrop and you're coming to, to Redeemer. So that's a challenge over the next few months. <clears throat> We've got the Cincinnati Chinese Church on here, the Korean Central Presbyterian Church, Great Commission Bible Church, and then River of Life Church, which is downtown in the West End. A little description of each of those. And then we challenge you to just increase your giving or look to supply a need. Perhaps even today, uh, as later as we share stories of grace, if God's given you a clear opportunity to do that, uh, share. And, and let's hear how God has moved in your heart in that way. And then last week we talked about taking every thought captive for Christ. <clears throat> holding something that's a thought pattern in your mind that may not align with what God says is true, and then taking that and making it obedient to what is true. And that is kind of an ongoing reality, and part of what we do is we unpack God's word, hopefully, is continue identifying what is true and doing battle to bring our thoughts in line with what is true rather than what is not. And this is certainly something Paul was wrestling with, as you'll see in this text, because there was a group of believers who were pretty new, and there were some other individuals coming into the church, and they were doubting, casting doubt, about whether or not what Paul said could actually be trusted. This group of people were called the super apostles, either because they labeled that themselves, and I don't know if on a church they had that, you know, a blue shirt with the white lettering that said super apostle, <clears throat> or, uh, or if it's something that Paul himself is kind of labeling because he says they're putting themselves even up above him. Paul, you remember, saw the risen Christ. He had a dramatic conversion experience. He's somebody who did not like Christians, sought to eliminate them from the face of the earth. And while he was on his way to do that, he met the risen Christ and became then a mouthpiece for the gospel. He suffered greatly for it. And it was all worth it because what mattered to him the most was the gospel of Christ. These super apostles then were coming in and sort of twisting not only whether or not you could doubt what Paul was saying, but what the gospel actually meant itself. And so Paul gets a little feisty in this passage, <clears throat> because he's jealous for these people, fragile new believers, who are wondering whether the gospel really applied to them in the way that Paul had said. And he's very protective of that, and he should be, as we'll see for good reason. So let's take a look at this scripture passage together and just read it first and then offer some reflections on it. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11, and this is verses 1 through 15. 
I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness. But you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you, free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I've kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the regions of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because I do not love you? God knows I do. And I will keep on doing what I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. This is the word of God. I pray he adds his blessing to it. And today we've been asking the question, if you can see the title, what matters most? What matters most to Paul from the beginning of Corinthians is the gospel, the good news of Christ. And if you sum up the entire Bible, you could say that God saves sinners is the essential message. That's from the beginning. Uh, There's a reference here to to the beginning as well with with Eve and and Adam and and deception and, and brokenness. And God promises in the beginning to send a rescuer, a savior, a healer who would make everything right. We find that's in the person of Christ, but he came in a way that many people were not expecting. Actually, a suffering servant who died on a cross, an ignoble death. But that was the pathway that God had said is the way to wholeness, is to trusting in that reality. That's a very basic description of how Paul handles the gospel. And this is the one that he preached to these Corinthians, but others were coming in and beginning to doubt whether or not that was genuine. So let's think about what matters most to Paul, at least some of the things that matter to him. And in these first verses, and just looking at one through four, we see What matters to Paul is this, your faithful commitment to Christ in all of life. Your faithful commitment to Christ in all of life. And then I add parenthetically something that Paul's been talking about already, and he'll be talking about it more in the pages to come. That your faithful commitment to Christ is simply an imperfect reflection of his perfect commitment to you. That's it. And Paul 
it appears other people are coming in and doubting whether some of these things are actually true. Here's a picture he has in verse 2 of jealous love. And the language of that jealous love is of a husband and a wife. And actually, it's a father in the custom of the day who when uh, uh, somebody was betrothed or supposed to be married and engaged, it was the father's responsibility to make sure that she remained pure for her husband. He was very protective of that. And of course, in a culture with tremendous amount of shame as well, if somehow that didn't happen, then things would often be you know, retracted. You can appreciate the story of maybe Mary and Joseph and Jesus a little bit more even with that reality. But Paul saw these people he invested in. He was the father and they were the bride. They were the bride of Christ. They were betrothed to Christ. And he, he says, I want to give you, I'm giving you all this instruction so you can remain pure. And anytime you have a marriage relationship that's certainly healthy, you have a jealous kind of love. We know Love can, you know, jealousy can be something bad, but the scriptures talk about God's jealous love for his people. And Paul has, them, has that as well. It's a love that protects. It's a love that makes sure nothing is going wrong. And when provoked, is going to stand up for what's right. I was reading in one of the marriage books uh, that I go through from, from time to time, the story of, of Tim Keller's wife, actually, who, uh, when some of you know that, that name, he was a pastor at Redeemer Church in Manhattan, and he came home hearing uh, China being broken. <clears throat> and apparently Kathy, his wife, was breaking China one, one piece at a time. And he said, well, what are you doing? And uh, she said, well, this is how you're treating our marriage right now, so I might as well just make a physical demonstration of it. <laughs> He had said when he planted a church that after three years, because he said this is going to take a lot of effort, a lot of time, but after three years, don't worry, I'll be focusing on our marriage again. Well, this was like year four, and nothing had changed. And she was jealous for his attention and for him to come through with the promises that he had said he would do. And he had to take a step back and say, I've got things a little bit out of sorts here. Paul's jealous for these people because he loves the gospel. They embrace the gospel. And now, something is, something is going off just a little bit. Look at what it says in verse 4. If someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, it seems like you're putting it up easily enough with it. So there's a different gospel that's coming in. Now, what we don't know is the content here. So if you're familiar with the book of Galatians, there are a group of people called the Judaizers who were identified there. And basically they were saying, look, okay, fine. You've embraced the gospel. You became a follower of Christ. And you trusted him. That's fine. Now, in order to be acceptable with God, you have to do something in addition. It's called, as some of you maybe know, the Jesus Plus plan. You know, the Family Plus plan with cell phones or something like that. This is the Jesus Plus plan that the Galatians were being told, you needed to do. You need to become a little more Jewish. You need to become a little more obedient. You need to become a little more whatever, and then you're acceptable to Jesus. And Paul says quite strongly at the very beginning in Galatians 1, 8, 9, if we should come to you or an angel of light and preach a gospel different than the one you received, let him be eternally condemned. Again, I say to you, if anybody comes and preaches a different gospel 
Let them be eternally condemned. And he says in Galatians 3, you started with the Spirit. You started with grace and faith in Christ alone. And now you're doing something different. That you've become a believer. It shouldn't be that way. That's a false gospel. And we don't know the specific issue here. We know some, as we'll see as we unpack this just a little bit, of the things these super apostles were saying. They might have been Judaizers. But they certainly were perverting and twisting the gospel. And that is a very common experience. Anything besides Jesus and trusting in him alone, the Jesus plus plan gets you back into a works mentality and eventually you'll be a Pharisee. Where the measure of your worth before God is compared to others based on how awesome you are or how terrible you are. That's what the super apostles were doing. And Paul says, don't be deceived. There's somebody whispering into your ear, just like with Eve in the beginning. You know, God created a great paradise. I mean, this was like Travelocity type thing. If you look at Expedia.com, Garden of Eden, five stars. I mean, everything was perfect. Everything was provided. Great food, great weather, great company, like the God who created everything. And you're in wonderful fellowship. It's just, it's awesome. And then he says, don't eat from this one tree. All this freedom, all this beauty. And Satan, in the form of the serpent, we learn, comes and starts whispering in the ears of these people who are experiencing such a wonderful paradise and said, you know, maybe God's holding something back from you. Maybe it could be a little better. You know, did God really say this? And he starts casting doubt. Hmm, maybe things aren't as good as we thought they were. Maybe things could be a little bit better. Oh, yeah, they can be better. You know what? This God that you're walking with, it seems so great. But really, eh, you could be like him. You know, there's an upgrade waiting around the corner. All you got to do is take, that, take a little nibble on that thing you said you shouldn't be doing. And then you'll see. Then you'll see like God does. Then you'll get what you really, really want. And, of course, you know the story that that happens. And how did that turn out? <laughs> Awful. And, and Paul is saying, protect the gospel. You are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone with everything you have. And it's going to be tested. People are going to come in and they're going to start saying, you know what, maybe that's not enough. Maybe you're not enough. And once you go down that pathway, you end up with what you have in the book of Corinth. Or what you have in maybe churches everywhere, maybe even in your own heart. And Paul says, no, that's not true. You cannot receive a gospel different than the one that Paul has been preaching, which is a very basic gospel, Christ and Christ alone. And that faithful commitment that you've been called to touches on absolutely every aspect of life. You know, this picture of marriage is pictured to be something long-term. That you are married to somebody and so you're engaged in that long-term commitment. And along the way, things are going to start coming and saying, there's a better way, there's a better way. But he says, stay with it over the long haul. He just wants them to know that basic truth. And so he says, just like Eve was deceived, so you will be. And this journey of faith is something that 
It's kind of a renewed commitment almost on a daily basis, saying, okay, Christ, you are still the one to whom I am committed in something like a marriage covenant. So we'll be tested along the way. And you have an opportunity every single day to continue that faithful commitment in all of life. In Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis uh, talks a little bit about this. He, he did this in another book called The, the Screwtape Letters, where he imagines kind of a, things happening in the spiritual realm. That was just before this passage. We know there's a spiritual reality, and he's picturing junior demons and senior demons, and you know somebody's assigned to a particular uh, person, and an uncle is writing letters to the nephew about how to make that person kind of stray from the way, how to be deceived from the commitment that has been made to Christ and to lead toward infidelity. And in that image, of course, the senior demon says, you know, here's the best way to get that person off track. Don't make a big splash of it. Just make it something really subtle. Uh, But do it over a long period of time. And before you know it, that person will look up and realize, I'm no longer walking with Christ. This is how he puts it in mere Christianity, a similar concept. Every time you make a choice, you are turning the central part of you into something a little different than what it was before. And taking your life as a whole with all your innumerable choices. All your life long, you are slowly turning this central thing either into a heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. Either into a creature that is in harmony with God and with other creatures, and with itself, like it was in the Garden of Eden, or else into one that is in a state of war and hatred with God, and with its fellow creatures, and with itself. When a man is getting better, he understands more and more clearly the evil that is still left in him. When a man is getting worse, he understands his own badness less and less. See, this is part of what Paul, I think, was saying, too. He's like, look, I'm walking closer to Christ, and And, you know, we've talked about that before as you have a growing awareness of your devotion to Christ. You begin to see, wow, I'm not a very good person. And that gap between me and God is just growing. And you have to boast in what? The cross of Christ. That has to be what fills that gap. And the liar, the deception, just like with Satan and Eve, is you can do it on your own. You started with Christ, don't really need him anymore. So stuff something in its place. And your value in your world will be attached to how great you are acting as a functional savior, either for yourself or maybe even your spouse or your kids. It's a house of cards. It won't work. Christ is saying, come back to me again and again. That's the basic gospel. Paul knows our hearts are prone to deception. So he pulls them not only to your faithful commitment to Christ in all of life. But he talks about another thing that matters here. And he does this in the context of his own ministry. What he says next is, okay, what matters obviously is you and your faith in Christ over the long term, but also the way that you as a follower approach the way that gospel is communicated to others. He says, let's make sure that we remove every single barrier that we possibly can from the gospel being heard. You know, he says here, these super apostles are calling him inferior, apparently. And the reason that they were saying that is, he's not that good of a speaker. In verse 6, 
And, you know, they also said he didn't charge anything. Now, you have to understand in the culture of that day that if you were a speaker, you would have money attached to speaking. And the more money you got, the weightier or better your message was and the better. It's similar to today, right? I mean, a little bit. I, I remember this country music festival they had down here at Voice of America not too long ago, and I, I heard somebody invited, like, they said, we're trying to get Morgan Wallen to come. If any of you listen to country music, he's, you know, kind of all the rage in some respects now. And he said, I won't do it for any less than something like $5 million. I don't know what it was. I'm making that number up. But it was enough that they said, okay, let's move on. <laughs> you know, it's like, we, can't, we can't afford that. Why? Because people will pay. I'm worth a lot of money. And I can demand a lot. And the culture of that day was similar. So Paul comes along to these churches and he says, look, I don't want money to be a stumbling block. So don't, don't give it to me. I don't want to be a burden. In fact, I'm going to be a tent maker. I'm going to make some money on the side. And he also argues that you could legitimately pay me But I just don't want that to be a burden. And we know that finances were an issue in that congregation. That they they didn't have a lot of money. And that was true for the Macedonian churches he had just come from as well. And they took up this amazing offering they were giving to the poor who were struggling in Jerusalem. And we saw how awesome of a response that was to the gospel of grace. But he says, I don't want to get in the way. And Paul's mentality, and this is back in 1 Corinthians 9, is very much driven by, what am I doing that might be a hindrance to somebody else hearing the gospel? I'm going to remove every single barrier. Now, these super apostle boys come along and say, ha, 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 see, here's proof that he's really not that great. He didn't charge anything. Morgan Wallen is coming to town. We charge a lot of money for our message because it's weighty. And Paul flips it upside down and says, it's not the weight of my message is so great, that's why I'm not charging any money. There's a guy named Keith Green, some of you know about him back in the 70s, who was a musician. And for those of you who know his story, he really struggled with the the Christian music industry uh, as as a profit-making entity. And he decided, I'm not going to charge any money for my concerts. Because it's a barrier, he believed, for people hearing the gospel. That's how he took something that he had and said, I'm willing to lay aside some profits, perhaps, because I don't want the gospel to be hindered in any sort of way. And, of course, God provided for him, just as he provided for Paul as well. But people are going to take that and twist it and say, aha, and whisper that there must be something wrong. At least that's what was happening to Paul as well. You know, some time ago, if any of you are from the Cincinnati area, you know Steve Shogren and the Vineyard Central Church, which uh, a large, large church movement, uh, and they did something called servant evangelism. I don't know if any of you did. Did you any of you do servant evangelism? Uh, or if you haven't heard about it, the, the, the purpose of it, the reason it really started Um, was because there are a lot of barriers between the church and the world. As those of us who maybe gather and say, hey, let's love each other and let's love the world. But then you go out and say, hey, Jesus loves you. And they're like, really? 
the world's got a lot of baggage with the church, as it were. And they said, what we're going to do is just do some kind of acts of kindness without any intent really beyond that, just to love people. So handing out bottles of water on a very hot day. Why are you doing this? Jesus loves you, no strings attached. Say what? (laughs) You know, I mean, everybody will take a a hot dog and a hot, and some water, well, not everybody with a hot dog, but usually (laughs) with water, uh, you know, or something. Or another thing they would do uh, that I recall is is go in to, um, to put some of the air freshener things in urinals. In toilets. It just is an act of kindness. That sounds kind of dirty, don't you think? And it doesn't seem like... But they did it because they said, we just want to show God's love in a very practical way without expectations from you on the response. And the the desire, the goal was to just break down barriers. Regardless of what you think about that approach, that was their desire. Something laudable about that. You know, the, the humility that even that example of going into a bathroom might demonstrate is something that Paul himself is acknowledging right here. Was it a sin in verse 7 for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel? Paul was willing to lower himself. Jesus condescended by virtue of putting on flesh and coming and walking among us. That's the essential nature of the gospel. So how are we above anybody? Paul says, my mentality is to do the best I can to serve everybody around me and remove any possible barrier. Now, there are probably some applications in your own life to that as well. What is it you can do to begin removing barriers from people hearing the gospel? Could be within the context of your own home, in your own family, in the way that you speak, or the things that you say, or perhaps as an employee, or maybe even as a neighbor. Or maybe even, as we may often say, as you drive on the roads. Are you driving behaviors and responses, creating a pathway for people to know and love Jesus. (laughs) I mean, let's think of practical opportunities to say, God, do not let me put barriers in the way. And and Paul's just simply arguing that this is something very important to him. And so it dictates how he responds. And and really, it kind of leads into this, this final section, too, where he talks about another thing that really matters to him. And that is that we need to be thinking about how our attitudes and our values really align with the gospel, with what Christ says matters the most. Chapters 10 through 13, kind of as a whole, he goes into this idea of uh, being foolish and he's kind of dialoguing with these super apostles. And he focuses less, as we said already, on on the content of what they're saying, although some of that is there, and more on the attitudes that they have. The values that they're bringing that say, these are gospel attitudes, these are gospel values. He says, that's not right. This isn't what Jesus would say. This isn't the right spirit. And as you can see, even in this text, he begins kind of unpacking their arrogance and their pride, their criticism their dismissiveness of the work that others have done. And Paul, all throughout the scriptures, says the medium and the message are inseparable. Meaning, the message is the content of the gospel. And the medium is the way it's delivered and the manner in which it's delivered. So if you have a gospel that says, we're humble servants of a God who humbled himself for us, but you come across as a critical person, always, That doesn't match up with what's being said. 
Where's the humility? Where's the graciousness? Where's the long-suffering? And Paul says those two things need to kind of coalesce. They need to come together. They came together in Christ, and the gospel bids us to grow into that. And Christ is faithful. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion, and there's a growth curve. We understand and we know that, but are we aligning our attitudes and values with Christ or with the world's around us? Or what other people, though well-meaning, are saying is a gospel that's no gospel at all. What did Paul proclaim? He proclaimed a humble, self-sacrificing Savior whose servants are validated by reflecting a similar humility and, frankly, a relative unimpressiveness. And it leaves no room for the kind of self-absorbed, self-promoting ministry of the super-apostles. In fact, they're not super-apostles, he says here in his you know, strong language. They're many Satans. That's what you are. Super apostle? Nah. You take that shirt off and turn it inside out and put on who you really are, it's like mini Satan. You're masquerading as angels of light, but you're actually not at all filled with God's light. It looks like you are, but in the long run, we'll see that's not actually the case. You're deceitful, he says in verse 13. You're false. You're masquerading. And that looks just like Satan himself, according to verse 14. So the gospel they're preaching, obviously, is valuing something that is different than the gospel that Paul preached and the one that Christ himself brought as he came declaring the kingdom of God is at hand. Here's maybe an idea then of the gospel according to the super apostles. Gospel values, self-commendation and boasting are good. They come in and they say, we're going to boast about things. We're going to compare ourselves to others. And that's a good thing. If you're prone then, maybe even to that own thing. And this can happen in the context of ministry. Comparing. You already talked about that in the previous passage. You feel good about yourself. Got a few more numbers, maybe, or something, whatever the case may be. That's a gospel according to the super apostles. Suffering for them is a sign of weakness. And it's a sign of God's abandonment. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But it's already been hinted at. Some of why they discredited Paul's ministry is they say, you don't have it very good. You got no money. Seems like you're always getting injured or, 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 or hurt or something like that. And God just seems like he's against you. Like I look at you and I'm unimpressed as a whole. And that's really more what they say too is that Valid ministry has to be splashy. These super apostles are saying, man, dazzle us, right? And it's not just by the ministry, but also the person. Ministers are visually impressive crowd dazzlers, according to these super apostles. I know that because they're saying about Paul, who is this guy? He's not that great. He doesn't charge anything. He's unimpressive in his presentation. He doesn't speak very well. Probably, I don't, I don't know if he didn't, I just, who is this guy? And we'll believe what he says once he starts showing us this kind of stuff. And the, one of the other things they've been saying is, you know, godliness and purity, kind of optional. I mean, they, they didn't really take 
walking in God's ways that seriously. They were kind of enculturating, to accommodating to the culture around them and saying, ah, we're good. We know that from 1 Corinthians. They had taken that in. And Paul's talking about that already quite a bit in 2 Corinthians as well. What I want to do, and I don't have this uh, listed up there, but I want to just read a portion of 1 Corinthians to take you back to the very beginning and remind you of where Paul started this whole thing with gospel values. And this is with 1 Corinthians chapter 1, but really for, for all that follows as well. And, and let's contrast these ideas that we'll see in the chapters ahead with what the gospel is according to the super apostles. Just listen to these words and keep those categories in mind. In 1 Corinthians 1, starting in verse 23, Paul says, We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles, but to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God stronger than man's strength. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And interestingly enough, as he goes on, he says, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on men's wisdom, but on God's power. And this is what's happening by the time 2 Corinthians comes along. They've forgotten that. It's resting on men's power and what, what looks flashy, but it's instead on this humble Savior who crucified was crucified on their behalf and then calls people who do not deserve it and frankly aren't that dazzling and mystifies the world by using those humble servants to change everything around them. And so, in contrast, the gospel says, look, we're not going to be about self-commendation and boasting as good. If we're going to boast, we're going to boast in Christ. And the gospel says, actually, suffering draws us into deeper reliance, away from self-reliance, away from the, the conclusion that if I'm suffering, I must be a bad person. No, I'm being drawn into a deeper reliance on Christ who suffered himself. Christ crucified, that's kind of a stumbling block. This Messiah who came and was supposed to overcome died. And so we're not visually impressive crowd dazzlers either, are we? Because he employs common, weak men and women all throughout the scriptures. It's pretty remarkable who God uses. People we wouldn't. 
I mean, the job description, you know, when you have a little resume cover for great leaders in the Bible, kind of unimpressive. The people we might not hire. And God's wisdom is very different than ours. And he says, look, Christ is our righteousness and our holiness and our redemption. So it matters that we pursue the same. And, you know, Paul's saying, look, your faithful commitment to Christ in all of life it's going to be imperfect. But it's a reflection of his perfect commitment to you. Sealed. Sealed by his death on the cross. And his resurrection from the dead. That's the hope of the gospel. It's really not that flashy. And yet it's totally life changing. I mean that's what he says here. This can transform you. That is what I'm proclaiming. That is the gospel. And so he's pulling them and, and us today back to what matters most. What really matters most. And so walking out of here and hopefully moving forward, you can look back at this text and, and just do a little self-diagnosis on, on your faithful commitment to Christ in all of life, on the opportunities you have to remove barriers that may be all around, and really to do some evaluation on if you're Attitudes and values are aligning with the gospel or if they've been hijacked by some other super apostle that's out there. This draws us back to Christ and Christ alone. Father, I do pray for our hearts that a text like this would cause us to consider what matters most. Wherever we may be on that spectrum today, uh, perhaps a call back to evaluate our, our own commitment and faithfulness to you or to remember your commitments even greater since we're prone to wander. And I pray you'd give us real clarity that this would be at the, the front of our minds today in, in our family systems and our places of employment, our communities, wherever we have influence, that we would seek to remove any barrier from the gospel being proclaimed and lived out in our own lives. And certainly, we pray then that the values and the attitudes that are presented by this gospel Paul has preached would be our own, that we would be people who rely on the grace of God more and more on a daily basis. Father, that's our heart's desire. We pray that you would make it so in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, once a month we have stories of grace.